Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. Happy Apple Blossom. So I made it almost 20 years living in uh, Winchester and Apple Blossoms without owning a pink shirt or green tie. And uh, yesterday my wife rectified that situation for me to, so I could be festive today in the sermon. But, so happy Apple Blossom to everybody. If you've been with us very long, you know that uh, Mark has been taking us through a study of the book of Isaiah. Uh, we've been in Isaiah a little over a year now. Uh, those sermons, by the way, on fbcva.life, if you want to catch up on any of the ones you've missed or the old sermons. Uh, and so this week, we are, over these next few weeks, we are up to what many consider to be the climax of the book of Isaiah. This is the, this is the high point, the, the glorious part of the book that, uh, that everything so far has been leading up to chapters 60, 61, and 62 that we're going to be looking at this week and next week. Um, this, these chapters paint a picture of a glorious future, the glorious fulfillment of everything that God has been uh, leading up to and doing and working uh, through, this, uh, through the, the ages and through the world. The promises that he's given to Abraham, to David, all of those coming to this glorious conclusion. And we see this painting of, these, of this future in Isaiah chapter 60 and 61. It was really way back in Isaiah chapter 2, this was something that Isaiah had already pointed to and had already prophesied about. In Isaiah 2, there's, uh, in those first four verses, there's this picture of this time coming when Jerusalem was going to be the, the seat of this coming king. The glory of the Lord, the proclamations of the Lord would go forth from this new Zion, that it would be high and lifted up and God's presence would be there, that all the nations of the world were going to be blessed because of the presence of the king there, that they would come to this place to worship this king, to worship this Lord. And, and Isaiah 60 and 61 and 62 develops this and, and paints this picture even more for us. So if you would, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60 and let's look at just a few of these verses. In Isaiah chapter 60, starting in verse 5, it says, Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. As we go through 60 and you read these verses, something that should jump out at you is the, is the complete contrast to many of the passages we've been hearing in Isaiah. You know, those first 39 chapters, we were hearing a lot about how the nations were going to come to Israel, but not to bring praises to the Lord. They were going to come and destroy Israel to take them away into captivity. That their, their temple would be destroyed, their walls would be brought down, that the people themselves would be carried away. And so we get to chapter 60, and what we see is the reverse of that, the complete and total change in fortune so we're supposed to see the contrast that now the nations are bringing their wealth to jerusalem they're building its walls they're proclaiming the glories of their lord down in verse 18 
toward the end of, of chapter 60 there, it says, Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no more be light for you by day, nor brightness of the, uh, shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. See, back in chapter 2, Isaiah had prophesied of this coming time where their, their swords would be beaten down into plows and their, their spears would be converted into prune hooks, that this peace would emanate from Jerusalem and bring salvation to the world, to the nations, the glory of God emanating from, from His presence being there. And so in chapter 60, we, we get another portrait of the nations coming to Jerusalem to praise and bring glory and honor to this king, to the God of Israel. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful painting. This week, what I want to focus on is, uh, we're going to focus on the present and past fulfillment of these passages. And next week, we're going to look to, because there's a, there's a coming fulfillment that hasn't happened yet of these passages. And so next week, we're going to look at the, the full consummation of God's presence in this world, His kingdom set up. But, but this week, I want to look at a different aspect of it, because there's an aspect of chapter 60, 61, and 62 that is already fulfilled now. We're not waiting for it to be fulfilled. And, and to see that, I want us to turn to, you can keep your finger there in, Luke, in Isaiah 60, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And, and to set the stage for this, I want you to, to put your mind, uh, imagine yourself in this first century Israel. They're being oppressed by Rome. They're, they're under the rule and authority of Rome, but they know the promises of Isaiah. They know that there's this coming Messiah, this coming king who was going to raise Israel up and raise Jerusalem up so that they would proclaim the glories of the Lord to the world and that these nations were going to come and bring their wealth to Israel. They're experiencing the opposite of that in Jesus' day, Rome's oppression of them. So, so the Jewish nationalists, the real political activists of the day, Isaiah 60, 61, 62, that was like their, you know, that was their go-to passage. I mean, they pointed to this and, no, we're supposed to rule. And in the middle of that, this passage of, of, of Isaiah, there's this little nugget that points to the anointed one in chapter 61, the first few verses. And so as we get to the Gospel of Luke, I, I want you to have that picture in mind because here's what happens. Jesus goes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Guess what passage Jesus picks? He goes right to the middle of this Isaiah 60 to 62, and he reads from uh, chapter 61, verses 1 to 2. Here he reads it. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And I love this next phrase. I mean, Jesus just read. I mean, this is the passage. 
Right? This is the path. This is what they're waiting on. Chapter 60, 61, 62 of Isaiah to be fulfilled. You know, this anointed one who would, who would lift up Jerusalem. And so Jesus just read it. He said, you could hear a pin drop in the room. And the next phrase there, it says, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What's he going to say about this passage? Verse 11, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What? What do you mean this scripture has been fulfilled in I mean, Rome's still oppressing us. That's the anointed one supposed to bring all this, uh, you know, the kingdom and the nations were going to come and bring their wealth to us. What do you mean this is fulfilled? And if you read on in the passage, they basically chase Jesus out of Nazareth. But he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And next week, we're going to talk about why Jesus left off in the coming kingdom part. But we want to focus that Jesus says this has been fulfilled in your hearing. What, is, what does he mean by that? Well, there's a problem that Isaiah, and we've been learning as we've gone through, there's a problem in the hearts of people. There's a condemnation that God has against Israel and the people of the world that has to be fixed, it has to be rectified. This kingdom cannot come because the people are in darkness. They can't be a light to the world because they are covered in darkness and it's a problem of their heart. They are separated from God. And so if you remember back to Isaiah chapter 1, God lays out an indictment against the people. Here is the problem. Here's why those judgments were coming. But the judgments don't even fully rectify this because Isaiah chapter 1, we read in verse 4, God says that the people have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. See, the people are separated from God. That's his indictment against them. But we learn that this indictment against them is not because they are not religious enough. They were doing all of the religious stuff. They are bringing the sacrifices. They are doing the fasting. They are doing all of the, the religious stuff. Because we learned down in verse 11 of chapter 1, it says, God's telling them, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Now, why is God saying that? He's the one that told them to do all of those things. Well, the people, there's a big misunderstanding by the people of what God intended. They think that they can, they can achieve righteousness by doing all these external things, that they, they somehow would be brought into the presence of God by doing all these unrighteous or these uh, sacrifices and fastings. But God says, no, there's a deeper problem at work. Your hearts are separated. You are estranged. You are enemies. You are foreign to me. And so all your religious activity is a stench in my nose. And what is the proof that he offers then? If it's not their religious activity, what is the proof that their hearts are far from the Lord, that they really don't understand what the law was all about? He goes on down in verse 23. And he explains. He says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves, 
Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. See, here's the proof that their hearts were in darkness. They could do all the sacrificing they wanted. But the proof that their hearts were in darkness was that they were doing all of that stuff to puff up themselves. They cared and sought after their own. They could be bribed. They, could, they, they oppressed the poor. They didn't take care of the orphans. They didn't take care of the widows. They didn't minister to the hearts of people. And remember, Israel was called to be a, a nation of priests that would minister God to the hearts of mankind, to the world. And instead of ministering to the hearts of man, instead they do all the religious activity in order to puff themselves up and oppress people. And they didn't care for the the orphans. They don't care for the widows. They don't care for anything but themselves, their, their own desires, their own goodness. They wanted to look good. And the interesting thing is, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus indicts the Pharisees for exactly the same issue. All these centuries gone, and the hearts of man has not changed. You read the whole gospel, uh, chapter 23 of Matthew, and you get the full taste of it, but let me read a couple of the verses. Verse 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs. I love that picture. They're like tombstones in a graveyard that's very beautiful and ornate and carved out and and whitewashed and, and pretty. Jesus says, you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now how does Jesus know that that's true about the Pharisees? In that chapter 23, you see, it's because they are oppressing the people. Not ministering to the hearts of people, not encouraging them, not pointing them to God, not teaching them about this God that they are called to serve. Instead, they are using their religion to oppress people and to make themselves look good. They love to sit in a seat of honor. But they don't get down on their knees and serve another person. They can't be bothered to do that. And so Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. The heart of man needs to be dealt with before this glorious kingdom can come. You can't be a light to the world when you're covered in darkness. And so earlier, Mike read from Isaiah 59, chapter 9, right before this Isaiah 60 passage. In Isaiah 59, you hear the people, verse 9, it says, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness. We hope for brightness, but we walk in gloom. So the people are now acknowledging that the problem is deeper than just them being punished for a little while in captivity and being brought back. The, The problem is deeper than that. Their very hearts are separate from God. They walk in darkness. They need God to do something. They need God to shine this light. And they, they knew, and they use this term light because Isaiah had already prophesied a few times of this coming light that God was going to send into the world that was going to dispel darkness. In a number of passages, the one you're probably most familiar with was Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says this, 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then it goes on to talk about this coming child that was going to come in. The government would rest on his shoulders. That God was going to have to come into this world to bring light to the people because they are covered in darkness. And so in Isaiah 59, you hear them cry out saying, our hope is in light. Where is this light? We're, we're covered in darkness. We walk about blind. We can't see. And that's why Jesus chooses that Isaiah 61 passage. I have been anointed to proclaim liberty, to bring, give sight to the blind, healing to the oppressed, this coming light that was to come into the world. Now, the Gospel of John, at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is being introduced, and John the Baptist's job was to give witness that the light has come into the world. John chapter 1, verse um, 9 says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. What he's saying in, in, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John is the light of Isaiah that Isaiah prophesied that was going to dispel the dark darkness of the world to bring the glory of God into this world. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, he is this light that was to come. And John the Baptist's job was to point at Jesus and say, there he is. He's this light. Later in the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, Jesus declares to be the light. But I want you to understand the context in John chapter 8. See, the context of Jesus proclaiming to be the light is uh, in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, it describes this scene where the Pharisees and the scribes, they drag out this adulterous woman and they cast her on the ground before Jesus and they say, Jesus, the Old Testament tells us to stone this woman. What do you say? Your heart is supposed to break for this woman. Can you imagine what this woman is going through? Here are the Pharisees who are supposed to be people who are ministering the word of God to people. They're supposed to be the ones that are being a priest to people and building them up and encouraging them. They're dragging this woman out and casting her down and using her as this test case to, to try Jesus out. And you remember how Jesus responds. He says, he is without sin, cast the first stone. And they all drop their stones and walk away. But then, listen to what Jesus says. In John chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, Jesus says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life jesus is saying he is this light the very darkness that he came to to dispel was the darkness that the pharisees had just demonstrated by caring more about their own righteousness than the heart of this woman that they drug out and Jesus becomes the light by doing the very opposite. Jesus ministers to this woman's heart. He reveals himself, the glory of the Christ. He declares liberty to her. 
And he says, I am the light of the world. That is what the light came to do. That is the darkness that the light came to disperse with. And right after this passage, by the way, Jesus again declares it. He, he, in, in, in John chapter 9, he comes across this blind man. And, and so Jesus says to this blind man, I am the light of the world. And he heals the blind man. Well, the blind man, after he's healed, he gets called into the synagogue and the Pharisees are now putting him on trial. And they're, they're quizzing him and they're testing him and they're telling him to, 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 to disown Jesus and he refuses. And they bring in the parents and they test the parents. And the conclusion of all that is the Pharisees excommunicate this family. So here's a man born blind from birth that has just been healed and instead of celebrating this miracle that God has done, instead of rejoicing with this man, instead of ministering to this family that has just had this incredible thing happen to them that God has done, instead the Pharisees oppress and excommunicate. And Jesus tells that man, I am the light of the world. I've come to deal with that. And so he, Jesus approaches that blind man and he says, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is it, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the blind man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. See, that's what light does. Light ministers to the heart of those in darkness heals the blind, breaks the yokes of captivity, sets them free. Because He is the light of the world that can dispel that darkness in their hearts. He is that light that Isaiah had prophesied about. And, and this light, is in the, this darkness in the heart of the man needs to be dealt with before any kind of kingdom can come to this world where light and glory is going out to the whole world. The heart of man needs to be corrected. Needs to be fixed. So in Jesus' first coming, he comes and he reads from there and he says, today it is fulfilled. I am here. The light has come. And so flip back, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 60. Because I want to focus on these first three verses of Isaiah 60 because it's interesting that it's written in the past tense. It's really, I think, Isaiah 60, these first few verses, is written to us. Because in, in Isaiah's day, the light hadn't come yet. So it was still like in Isaiah chapter 2, it's all future tense. Isaiah chapter 60, it's past tense. So what can we learn? What does Isaiah 60 say? How does, what is the application of understanding that this light was coming into the world, this light was going to be emanating from this kingdom that the Christ was going to set up, that the glory of God would go out? Like what is, what is the call? What is the application? So we read in Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So to end here, I want to focus on four things that are, is being said. One is, it's four reasons. One is the command, and I think the command is to us, Fellowship Bible Church, all of us sitting here. The command is for us to rise and shine. And then it gives us four 
reasons or four explanations, four things we need to know in order to rise and shine and be the church. The first reason he gives, he says, arise and shine for your light has come. See, Jesus has come. The light of the world has come. We celebrated this past week. He came. He goes to the cross to pay for the sins, which Isaiah had prophesied beforehand, that the iniquities of us all would be placed on him, that by his wounds we would be healed. The light has come into the world. The light has come. And the light offers you the light of life. By grace alone. And you know, Isaiah preached the gospel of faith alone. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10 says this. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? And this is a rhetorical question. The the, the implied answer is none of us. And so I would ask you, brother and sister, who among you obeys the voice of the Lord? And, And hopefully you're sitting there saying... Yeah, I don't do a very good job of that. I don't. And so here's what Isaiah says. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. What does he say for you to do? What is the solution to us who walk in darkness and have no light? The solution Isaiah offers, trust in the name of the Lord. Rely on his God. What's the solution to our darkness? We know the name of the Lord. It is Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Son of God. The light has come into the world. That's the first reason that we are called to rise and shine. The light has come. And if, if you are sitting there and you've never done this, you feel like you are walking in darkness, you know that you haven't obeyed the voice of the Lord, Jesus offers you life. He offers you light. He has taken that penalty. And according to Isaiah, all that is required of you is to trust in him. Rely on him. He is the light that dispels darkness. Darkness can't get rid of itself. You need the light of Christ. And so trust him for that. And in trusting it, you are given it. Second reason It says, the call is for us to rise and shine. What's the second reason? For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, here's a neat thing. If you've put your trust in Christ, here's what this passage is saying. It's saying the glory of the Lord has come upon you. In the New Testament terminology, in like, for example, Colossians, it's saying as a believer, you now have Christ in you. It is no longer you who live, but Christ is now present within you. If Christ is the light of the world and Christ is present within you, then the call for you is rise and shine. You have Christ. Not only do you have Christ, Romans 8, 10, 11 says, we have the very Spirit of God within us. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit, God's very presence is within you. The moment you believe, the moment you trust in God, He takes up His presence within you. The glory of God has come upon you. Rise and shine. You have Christ. You have God's presence. Rise and shine is the call. The third reason 
Arise and shine. Why? For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. Listen, there is a world out there covered in darkness. If you walked around the Apple Blossom Festival this weekend, you were surrounded. There were people all around you covered in darkness, hurting people, broken people, people that are blind, that need healing, that need to be told that there is freedom, that their yokes can be broken. They don't need to be judged and, and pulled out and stoned. That's not what they're, we're, we're called to do. There is a world there that needs to hear that there is a light that has come in the world to bring healing to the broken, to proclaim liberty to the oppressed. So church, rise and shine because there is a world out there in darkness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, and he's talking of the world, he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, which is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, church, we have the light of Christ within us. And there is a dark world out there that needs to hear the light of the gospel, the good news of the proclamation that there was a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who stood in that synagogue and said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing to break the yokes of the oppressed. The world needs that light of the gospel. And church, we have it to give. Rise and shine is the call. And the fourth reason says, rise and shine, because his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your shining. See, listen, there is nothing like that will draw somebody's attention like a light in the middle of darkness. People can't help but take notice of light when they're in darkness. And so church, when we rise and shine, the world will take notice. They will see the light of the glory of God within his church that can set them free. And the promise is that people will be drawn to this light. They will see it. How will they see it? How does the world see this light in the church? Well, the context in, of chapter 60, we just got to flip back two chapters because Isaiah spent a little time developing this. Go back to Isaiah 58. And, and as I read this, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. As I read this, I want you to have the picture of the whitewashed tombs in your mind. The Pharisees who were supposed to minister God's word to the people, and instead they oppress them, more concerned about who needs to be stoned than who needs to be encouraged, who needs to be lifted up, who needs to be pointed to the God. So Isaiah 58, listen to what he says, verse 6 through 10. God says, is not this the fast that I choose? See, here's the religious service that God wants. He's not so concerned about how many times you attend church in a week, how much tithing you do, how many times you pray on your knees, how much you fast, uh, the sacrifices you give. Here's the sacrifice that God desires. To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo straps of the yoke, 
to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, and if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness. See, here's the fourth thing about rise and shine. He's saying rise and shine because the world will see that. The world sees a church that isn't so concerned about their religious activity and instead, and they're not so concerned about being whitewashed tombs that look good for everybody else. And instead, they're more concerned about ministering the hope, ministering the healing, ministering the gospel, ministering the needs of the people around them, the broken, the oppressed, the poor, the widow, the orphan, as we proclaim Christ in the world. See, the promise of this passage is the world will see that and come to that. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. And when he says, I am the light of the world, it's because he came to bring healing and dispel the darkness in the heart of man that every man needs. Paul picks up the same theme in Ephesians, in Ephesians 5. I love how Paul says this. He says, verse 8, he says, For at one time you were darkness. I like how Paul says that. Paul doesn't say you were in darkness. No, Paul says, no, at one time you were darkness. But, but now, see, now that the light has come, now that the glory of the Lord is upon you, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. We are light. We have Christ. We have His glory. We can rise and shine because our light has come, because His glory is upon us. And the world will see and take notice, and they need to because they're covered in darkness. So church, this is not a call for us to be whitewashed tombs. It's not a call to just look good to each other. See, uh, as the church, we are ministering to broken people all around us. I'm broken. You're broken. We need ministered to. We need the healing of Christ. This is a hospital where we're all being tended to and healed by the healing power of Christ who is the light of the world. And we're proclaiming that healing is available. We're not a graveyard that looks very pretty with these beautiful, ornate tombstones looking as good as we can for each other and dead dead as a church dead inside so church rise and shine that's that is the call out of isaiah 60 and we can do it now because our light has come and next week we're going to look at what it means that christ is coming back again and the complete fulfillment of his kingdom can now take place and so next week, we will look at that future kingdom. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, indeed, your light has come. I thank you personally, Father, for myself. I just thank you for opening my eyes, for healing my blindness, for, for dispelling the darkness that I am with your light.
And Father, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that we would be encouraged because your glory is upon us, Father. And, and when we hear the call to rise and shine, let us not think that it means that we're now have to do more sacrifice, but it means, Lord, that we get to minister on your behalf. We get to tell of you and the hope that is in you. We thank you and we pray uh, that we would live this out as we go through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.